Merkel Media. And we were all gathered around her. And suddenly her eyes turned serpentine. And they turned bright red. And it was just freaky and obviously demonic. And I said, who are you? And the spirit said, I'm Leviathan, the power spirit of Anton LaVey. And you are a murderer. You've killed the black Pope. This was all circulating around the base that a giant had been killed, but no one was supposed to talk about it. I saw three long bony fingers reach up underneath the door, curl up to grab it, and then disappear. When he came over to me, dude, he slithered over to me. And this giant comes out of the cave, and they're all frozen. And he starts running and firing at this giant. Well, the giant moves. He's got a spear in one hand, and he's running really fast. And spears Dan and holds him up like this. Somebody else, shoot him in the face, shoot him in the face. They basically decapitate him. Got closer, got closer, got closer. When he got about 15 yards away from me, I raised that 12 gauge and I blow this head off. I feel something pulling at my leg. And I look over and there are two small gray entities pulling it. And they're literally, I'm getting pulled off the bed. I reached my hand into this bush and I touch air. Couldn't breathe and I couldn't move because I know I'm seeing a monster. Welcome to the show, everybody. You're listening to The Confessionals Podcast. I'm your host, Tony Merkel. Thanks for being here. If you have a crazy, wild experience you want to share with me on the show, go ahead and shoot me an email. My email address is contact at theconfessionalspodcast.com. That's contact at theconfessionalspodcast.com. Or go to the website, theconfessionalspodcast.com. Hit the contact section and you can reach me that way as well. Either way works for me, just get a hold of me. If you want more shows on a weekly basis, go ahead and check out theconfessionalspodcast.com slash join. Get yourself a membership and you'll get access to all the Thursday shows, ad-free listening on Tuesdays and overtime segments when they are available. Next week's episode is going to be an overtime show and there is an exclusive thing happening next Tuesday. I'm very excited about it. Make sure you tune in to find out what's going on next Tuesday, but it is going to be a banger. All right, friends, listen. Also, check out Merkel.media. That's where we keep our films. The Shape of Shadows is the most recent. Expedition Dogman was the genesis. And we're very close to releasing our third documentary with a very familiar face for all you listeners that have been around for a very long time. So stay tuned for that. But if you haven't checked out those films or you want to watch them again, right there on Merkel.media. And, you know, I don't mention this a lot, but we do have a Reddit. I don't really 
know how to use Reddit very well, but I have people operating the Reddit for me. And he said to me, it would help if I just said it on the show. So here we are saying it on the show. If you are on Reddit and you never ventured over to the Confessionals subreddit, I think that's what they call it. Go ahead and check it out. We have stuff going on over there and he is planning some really cool things with me in the future. So I'll be engaged more moving forward on Reddit. Go ahead and check it out. Now, today we have a fantastic show. We have Pastor Dave Bryan coming on and he is somebody that I've known about for quite some time. And it took us a while to get this interview done. But his story is a story that I find absolutely fascinating. It has deep spiritual warfare. It has a lot of things that you guys are familiar with. In fact, let me just tell you, what happens when you adopt Anton LaVey's daughter as a pastor? Yeah, spiritual warfare ensues and it doesn't end very well. So this is a story that I think many of you are going to find fascinating and enlightening. So without any further delay, let's get to Pastor Dave Bryan and his journey with spiritual warfare against Anton LaVey. All right, today we have Pastor Dave Bryan on the show. How are you, sir? I'm doing good, Tony. How are you doing? Hey, man, I'm good, man. I'm, I'm. So, listen, this is a an interview that I've wanted to do for a while, and I think we could have had it done sooner. But in all honesty, I got sick. I think it was in November, and then my family got sick, and oh, I checked out. I, I, I didn't even touch my emails for two or three weeks, and. And the in- interaction I think I had with Tara just got buried. And uh, okay. I had a revisit. I'm like, I still want him on the show if he still wants to come on. Uh, yeah. So I'm really glad to have this interview with you because um, like you and I were talking earlier, uh, I-, I stumbled across a-, a video that you did an interview with on the Deep Believer pot- uh, YouTube channel. And uh, she had you talking about your testimony, which we're going to get into today. And what caught me was literally the thumbnail. Like I was, I, I think I was scrolling through YouTube and it, it wasn't like, it, this is how YouTube works. Most people are looking at the thumbnails over the actual title of the video. And the, the, the thumbnail image had like zombies, vampires, church of Satan. I was like, you know, <laughs> it was like uh, from the wizard of Oz, you know, what was it? <laughs> Lions and tigers. Oh my, <laughs> so I was, I was all in. And then I clicked on it. And it was um, a three-hour-long conversation. I was like, "Man, this is gonna be a time commitment," but it hooked me right away. And I was just like, "Let's go!" So uh, I'm very excited about having you on. Uh, just to let the audience know where we're kind of going with this, uh, you were raised in a Christian household. You were in ministry, and uh, through what I would believe, and I'm sure you do too, divine order, you kind of quote unquote stumbled your way into a whole side of ministry that you never expected with. Uh, fighting against the occult and deliverance and things like that. Uh, I, I find it fascinating. Uh, I I was shared with you earlier. I was raised Pentecostal. In fact, I was raised in the Assemblies of God myself, and so very familiar with uh, your perspectives on things and how you were raised. Um, and I'm just really excited about this conversation. And before we get into this conversation, uh, I would like to let the audience know and give you an opportunity to share about your book because what we're going to talk about detailed. 30,000 times more in the book. Uh, so if you could let people know about the book and where they can get it. Yeah. Well, thank you, Tony. So um, I 
you described that well, by the way. I, I, we stumbled into the deep end of the pool, not knowing what was happening. and had to learn to swim. But anyway, uh, the I wrote a book about the testimony that I'm going to share this morning. And it's it's this book. It's called The Serpent and the Savior. And um, the, the subtitle is A True Story of Occult-Level Spiritual Deliverance. So The Serpent and the Savior. Um, and you can find that at churchofgladtidings.com. Uh, Cheryl and I have pastored the Church of Glad Tidings for uh, 38 years now. So that's churchofgladtidings.com. And there you can go to the store. And um, if you look through the materials, you'll find the serpent and the savior. But uh, if you're interested in the story, you, you will be very interested in the book because there's so many um, intriguing details. But uh, again, Church Glad Tidings, we're in Northern California and Yuba City. And uh, if you go to that website, you can get the serpent and the savior. Awesome. Well, uh, the link will be in the description of this episode. And uh, people can definitely go check that out. Highly recommended uh, because you, I've, I've done a lot of interviews. Okay. So I've done more interviews than I have episodes. Obviously, uh, you talk to people all the time doing what I do. And I think we just came out with episode 620 something. Uh, we come out with two a week. And in the time of doing interviews, you cover so many topics. You, I mean, I've talked to a, a guy who, came from the church. Uh, I don't know if it was actually the church of Satan, but he was a Satanist. Uh, and he, uh, was a, a werewolf, uh, uh, no, a vampire. He had gone the route of a vamp, a vampire, um, and came out of that lifestyle. Uh, I've talked to, you know, people who have Bigfoot encounters, these dogman encounters, witches, and all this stuff. I mean, we go any, if it's, if it's outside the norm, we're going to talk about it. And of all those years, the name Anton LaVey has come up on the show in conversation. I have mm-hmm. never had anybody on my show who has had very direct interactions with LaVey and his family. And I'm very excited to have you share this story. Uh, and also, I just want to let the audience know, before we started recording, you have confirmed that I don't look like Anton LaVey. People... <laughs> People say I look like Anton LaVey. I'm no, like, no, just no. because I'm bald with a beard, guys, doesn't uh, mean. <laughs> so yeah. so uh, I, I do appreciate that. And I wanted to just let the audience know, you hear from, <laughs> after you hear this man's story, just know he said, I'm nothing like Anton LaVey. <laughs> <laughs> so with, with that said, though, I, I kind of want to hand it over to you. It's your story. Um, you know how to navigate the waters with it. I'm here to just kind of... Um, go along with the ride with you and have conversation, maybe ask questions along the way. Uh, but how did this all kind of come together for you? Because I know earlier in your, in your ministry, you didn't give, uh, maybe necessarily the, the, the level of credence to supernatural, um, anything as much as you do now. I mean, you believed it, but I remember you talking about, uh, one instance with a, with a guy in your college that, you know, kind of challenged you in a way, uh, so you go from that to fighting spiritual warfare against Anton LaVey. How do we get there? You know, so uh, go ahead and take us away, my friend. Oh, that, that's a good question. And yeah, then that's part of my story. So uh, I grew up, my father was a assembly God pastor and I grew up in that, um, in that culture. It is a culture and filled with a lot of good people. 
the questions that haunted me, Tony, uh, along the way. Uh, and uh, I went to f- four years of a Bible college. It was not Assembly of God. It was a non-denominational uh, Pentecostal or charismatic Bible college. But nonetheless, the, the thing that always haunted me as a young man is the huge gap between what we say we believe and and what we actually experience in life. And so um, I, I had, of course, as all of us, as, as Christ is drawing us into the light, into the truth, we have all kinds of experiences that he uses to get our attention. So I had a number of those, including the one where uh, you mentioned I was teaching at uh, Raymond Bible College in uh, Aberdeen, Washington. And uh, one of, and, and I was, uh, I was the academic dean of the Bible college. And um, one of the students asked me every time I would bring up a miracle of Christ, because I was teaching a class called the life of Christ. And he was in another one uh, that was called the book of Acts. Well, uh, I chose both of those subjects because I was that dean of the Bible college. So I could choose the subjects to teach. But uh, predominantly, I did because those are the exciting subjects. Uh, the life of Christ—it's filled with miracles. Uh, every, you know, every page in the the Gospels is, is a miracle. And of course, in the Book of Acts, there are a lot of them. So uh, I I began to teach, and this guy in the back, and I thank God for him. I, I thank God many times for it. Put his hand up and said, "Excuse me, you know, l- let's say." First miracle of Christ is turning water into wine, right? So I, I was explaining the miracle and how great it was. Excuse me, have you ever done that? And I said, done what? He said, turned water into wine. And I said, of course not. Uh, why would I turn water into wine? He said, well, Jesus did. And I said, well, yeah, but anyway, it's a cultural thing, blah, blah, blah. But no, I've never turned water into wine. So you go on and Jesus heals a blind guy. Excuse me, you ever done that? I said, heal a blind guy? Yeah. I said, no, I've never done that. Okay. And he every time we came to a miracle, excuse me, you ever done that? Well, you know, I, I got to thinking, this guy's a smart aleck. He's just, uh, you know, he, he's just like pointing out my weaknesses and to the class. And so after <laughs> after class, I... I administrated the Bible college. So I, I went and I wrote him out his tuition check and I was going to give him a full refund and went out. He's in the parking lot. And uh, I said, Hey, uh, here's a refund for your tuition for the college. And he said, well, what's that for? And I said, well, you're not in the college anymore. I've disenrolled you. He said, what? And I said, I, I, you're not in the college anymore. He said, I want to be. And I said, yeah, but I'm the dean of the Bible college, and I don't want you to be because you're disrupting the class. And he said, by asking questions? And I said, the nature of your questions, you haven't asked anything except, can I do what Jesus did? And he said, well, isn't that a fair question? And I said, well, yeah, but it's also embarrassing. Uh, because you are continually making a negative comparison between me and Jesus. And he said, well, you know, I'm a brand new Christian. I just figured if anybody had done any of these miraculous things, it would probably be the dean of the Bible college. And 
when he said that, it just was like an arrow in my heart because my whole life I had wondered how come we say this and we live over here? What's what gives? And so I said, so you, you weren't trying to embarrass me? He said, no, I, I was sincere, but I can see why you're embarrassed. And I thought, that's a good, honest answer. So I said, well, uh, give me the check back. You can stay in school. But uh, I want you to know something. I know about every miracle in the Bible up here. But I have never been personally involved in a miracle, except for the saving of a soul and the forgiveness of sin, which is miraculous. But you know what I'm talking about. I, uh, he, he was commenting on the physical miracles of Jesus yeah. doing something supernatural that was impossible without divine power. I said, I've never been involved in that. So if you promise never to ask me about that again, you can stay in the school. So that was our agreement. But I went straight to my father, who was ordained when he was 17 years old, and uh, woke him up. It was a night Bible college. I, I said, Dad, we got to talk. And I just asked him, I said, have you ever healed anybody? And he gave me, and my dad, by the way, I love my father. I want to honor him. He's a good man. Uh, he he just didn't have the experiences that most American uh, Christian leaders have not had. And so he said, oh, we pray for people all the time. And, and God, sometimes he heals them slowly. And sometimes uh, it, it's immediate and miraculous. And I said, okay, that, that's fair. But I have not seen any immediate miraculous, which means the people that I have seen that, that we're talking about being healed, there was nothing in their life that was any different than a witch, a warlock, an atheist, an agnostic. It was just the the powers, the regenerative powers of their body, and and they beat the sickness and they got better. And, and nobody views that as a miracle. So anyway, uh, you know, he said, oh, you're working too hard. You need to get more rest. Don't be so hard on everybody. And and I said, well, I, I'm not done yet. I want to know if you've ever cast a demon out of anybody. And he said, well, what's that got to do with it? And I said, what that has to do with it is that that is one of the major miracles that is talked about repeatedly in both the life of Christ and the Acts of the Apostles. And I'm wondering why we're not doing it. Since Jesus said, these signs shall follow those that believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. I said, I'm just wondering why that is completely absent from our repertoire of things to do as Christian leaders. And uh, he said, and, and again, I love my father. He's in heaven now. But he actually um, looked me in the eye. He said, well, Dave, I'm not sure that there are many demons in America. Now, this was years ago. And, and uh, most people think America is pretty demonized by now. But at the time, I just thought, how does that make sense? And he, I, I asked him that. He said, I think most of them are in India and the islands of the sea and Africa where they worship demons and uh, through idolatry. I said, well, uh, that doesn't make sense to me. There were plenty of demons in Israel during the time of Christ. And he said, you know, I've never thought of that. But uh, th that was a watershed moment for me. I remember telling him, I said, Dad, I love you and I respect you, but I do not intend to be in my 60s and have never 
cast out a demon or seen somebody healed. I said, I just, I, I can't live my whole life with such a huge gap between what we say we believe and where we live. So anyway, he said, well, son, I'll be praying for you. You, you know, you're probably disillusioned, but that was a watershed moment in my life. And, and this, of course, there are many, many uh, other things that, that um, played into um, what happened many years later. But I decided that I didn't want to be a Christian leader. And uh, we put our house up for lease. And I resigned from the Bible college. And, and I was principal of a Christian school. And we resigned from all that. Can I ask you and, a question real quick? Uh, yeah. Before you go into that, I have a couple questions here for you. One, um, so what you were just saying, was that a direct result of this kind of revelation you started having? That you didn't want to be a Christian leader because maybe you had an internal conflict? Was, was that the yeah. connecting? Okay. Exactly. Exactly. I, I just, uh, I didn't, I knew that what this young man was saying in the class, I knew those were sincere, honest questions that needed to be asked. And I didn't have a good answer for them. And I did at the time, Tony, I didn't even know anybody besides my wife's grandfather, who was already in heaven. He was A.A. Allen. He was a healing evangelist. I didn't even know anybody that purported to heal the sick and cast out demons. I just knew that we were supposed to do it. But, you know, the people that came into my father's church, uh, they, they were good people, but they weren't, uh, they weren't known for uh, that, except for one fellow who will play into the story a little later, and his name was Jack Sisler, and he was a missionary from Borneo, um, which is now called New Guinea. But, but in any event, I just thought, I, I want to, whatever I'm doing, I don't want to be seen as an authority and something that I, I really have no practical skills in. And so I was, I was not personally content to talk about miracles and, and the reality of them and our need to be involved in them and not be that guy myself. So um, I decided to move to Australia. It was far away from everything I was involved in. And I, I don't want to be critical. I'm not critical in my heart, but uh, uh, I, I now call this, um, this network of uh, quarter-inch deep religion, I call it the Great American Religious Enterprise. And I didn't know that term at the time, but I just, I just thought there's a plastic quality that everything, about everything that's happening here that real thinking people view as hypocritical. And I, I just didn't want to be that guy. So my wife and I, we had three little boys at the time. We decided to move to Australia and uh, I made arrangements to lease our house. And, and I, I had a job waiting for me there in a vehicle. But anyway, I had been involved in an apostolic network. I was 27 years old at the time, but I was involved in this apostolic network. And I, I found that most of them were very reluctant to um, to have good, honest, deep conversations and to sort things out, and I just wasn't that guy. So, um, so anyway, in that network, uh, a number of times they would ask me to go deal with the thorny issue because nobody else wanted to. So, uh, so I was um, 
more involved than I should be as a young man in seeing the dysfunction of the great American religious enterprise. And frankly, it was disillusioning to me. I, I never once questioned the reality of a, a good and almighty creator. It was just the religious operation that I thought this is, this is empty and there's something missing. So, um, so anyway, the, we were all set up to move to Australia and this group that had sometimes asked me to troubleshoot churches and, and, and incorporated me into this apostolic network. They asked if I would come to uh, Yuba City and troubleshoot a church. And at the time, I just really didn't have the heart for it. I thought, uh, I know what this is going to be like. And it's just, uh, you know, a religious dog and pony show. And they're not going to do anything about it anyway. So I, I just don't want to do that. So I told him, no, I'm done doing that. Uh, anyway, he begged me. He said one more time. And so I said, okay, I'll, I'll do this if it's understood. This is the last time I'll I'll troubleshoot a church. So I came down here to where we've been uh, for the last 37 and a half years, Yuba City, California. And there was a small church. It had been up to around uh, 250, maybe 300 in its heyday, but it's now down to about 70. And uh, people were disillusioned and cranky and things weren't going well. And I interviewed anybody in the church that wanted to talk, uh, as was my policy in troubleshooting churches. And so it was just basic, uh, you know, uh, who are you? How long have you been here? What things have you liked the most? What things you think need change? And so anyway, I I interviewed the whole church. There were all kinds of things that they wished were changed. But a name that kept coming up repeatedly was Lou Benninger. Uh, I'd say, what, what, what are the things you like most about the church? And they'd say something like, well, well it was great when Lou Benninger was here, but, but he's gone now, and that's a bummer. So, you know, I was just doing my due diligence. And so I wrote his name down, circle it, put a star by it, underline it. Um, and so my last interview was with an attorney that was also um, an elder in this small church. And so I went through the whole thing with him as usual. And, and when he was all done, uh, I said, I got a question for you. I said, who's Lou Benninger? He said, oh, he, he was uh, like the father of the church. And I said, really? He said, oh, yeah, he was, uh, he was a drug dealer that was living in a nudist colony up in the foothills and had an experience with Christ. And he said, uh, hey, we're not going to do this anymore. Everybody put your clothes on. No having sex with anybody else and bring your drugs uh, to the middle of the circle. We're going to get rid of them. And he he said, that's that's where this church started. It was called Morningstar Ranch. And and it was through the conversion of Lou Benninger. I thought, wow, that's a fascinating history from a nudist colony to a Christian church. Uh, so I thought, wow, that's something. So I said, well, it seems like everybody here had really high respect for him. And he said, oh, yeah, Lou's a great guy, but he loves him. And I said, well, why don't you invite him back? He said, oh, Lou's not coming back. I said, well, how do you know that? Why don't you just come back and talk about the things you need to talk about and get the wheels back on the wagon? He said, oh, no. He said, you don't you don't understand Lou Benninger. Uh, he is not coming back. He said, besides that, he stole $3 million. I said, what? He said, yeah, he 
He took $3 million when he left. And I said, well, you're an attorney. Is the guy in prison? He said, nobody wants to see Lou go to jail. <laughs> I remember saying, of all the ridiculous things I've heard these last three days, that's that's the top drawer right there. If, however nice he is, it's not okay to steal $3 million from a floundering church. So this guy says, well, Lou thinks it, uh, it was his money. And I said, what does that even mean? It either was his money or it was not his money. He said, well, you know, he gave it to the church, but then when the church didn't do well, he felt like he had the right to repossess it. And, and he, he took the money out of the bank and left. And <laughs> I said, well, do you have his phone number? He said, yeah, but he won't talk to you. And I said, well, just in case, give me his phone number. I'd already decided, you know, I, I might not get anything else done here, but I'm going to find justice to this, uh, this terrible offense against the little church. And so I wrote down his phone number. I wrote down the, the, uh, county sheriff and I went to a restaurant. I was done with my interview, you know, so I was flying out the next morning and, and I called him. And I, I said, I'd like to talk to you about what happened at uh, Church Glad Tidings. He said, oh, I'm not interested. And I said, well, dude, get interested, because if you don't talk to me in the next hour, you're going to be talking to the sheriff. And he just went quiet. He said, uh, somebody told you about the money, huh? I said, yes, somebody told me about the money. And it's not okay to steal money from a church. And he said, he said, this is none of your business, and you don't even know what happened. I said, well, two things. I just made it my business, and if you think I need to know more about it, you have an hour to get down here to the restaurant. I'm at Lion's Restaurant. I just ordered a meal. If you're not here by the time I'm finished with my meal, I'm calling the sheriff and telling him that you stole $3 million from the church of Glad Tidings. He wasn't happy with that. But he come down there and come storming down there, look around. He saw me. He says, you, uh, you're the guy that's troubleshooting the church. I said, yep. He sat down and he said, where do you get off coming in here? He said, you don't know anything about anything about this church. And you're threatening to turn me into the sheriff. And I said, well, it wouldn't be much of a threat if you hadn't done anything wrong, would it, Mr. Benninger? And he said, I didn't do anything wrong. He said, did they tell you that I put all $3 million in, in the bank for them? And I said, yeah, they, uh, not in those words, but they, they told me that you thought it was your money. He said, I never said it was my money. It was money I put into the account. It's God's money and I'm not going to let them waste it. And you know, Tony, when he said that, I, I almost reached across the table, hugged the dude. <laughs> I just thought, finally, some integrity. And I said, okay, so that's the problem? He said, yeah, that's the problem. He said, I busted my hump. He said, this whole thing started in my commune. And I told people, uh, the gospel changed my life. We're going to take it to the ends of the earth. And we all worked hard. He said, you know what it's like to work 50 hours a week and get $2 allowance? I said, no, I've never done that. He said, the whole Morningstar Ranch did that. We started six businesses and we put $3 million in the bank and I'm not going to let them waste that. 
And I thought, finally, this is refreshing, a real conversation with, with a guy that has some uh, serious values. And so I said, well, I can respect that. But the problem is in California, you can't repossess your your offerings. And he said, well, I did. I said, well, I mean, you can't legally repossess your offerings because uh, you, you'll go to prison for that. And he leaned forward and he said, did it ever occur to you that there are things worth going to prison for? And I thought, yep, I love this guy. <laughs> and I, you know, I was, Tony, I was already disillusioned with the great American religious enterprise. And I thought, finally, a, a good, clean-hearted disciple that wasn't compromised. And I said, you know, Lou, it has occurred to me that there are th- some things worth going to prison for. And I said, why don't you go back and pastor the church? He said, I'd rather go back to smoking dope than go back to that church. And I thought, I get that too. Because I was, you know, I hadn't given up on God, but the church, I didn't want to go to church. And so uh, there, there was just something that happened in my heart. I thought, dude, I've been looking for somebody like you for a long time. And so uh, now this is miraculous, Tony. It's never happened before or since. But I suddenly blurted out. Remember, I'm there on an assignment for three days, right? And the Apostolic Network asked me to come. And the church was just going along with it. And so, and I never wanted to pastor. I never even wanted to go back to church at the time. But I blurted out. I said, he had just said, I'd rather go back to smoke and dope than go back to the church. And I blurted out. I said, well, if I come pastor the church, will you come help me? And if it doesn't work, I'll go smoke dope with you. <laughs> and Tony, I was, I was from, I was a cowboy from Idaho. I'd, I'd never smoked dope. And Lou, he said, uh, we should probably talk about that. He said, have you ever smoked dope before? I said, no. He said, I have smoked everything a human being can possibly smoke. And I said, okay, so you have more experience. He said, I do. And I will hold you accountable to that kind of a, a commitment. And I said, uh, I'll hold myself accountable to that. I said, if the Bible doesn't work, I will go smoke dope with you. But I said, I've counted on this my whole life that that if we did things right, it would work. If we just followed Jesus Christ the way he asked us to, my whole life is about believing that. If I'm wrong about that, I'm ready for a do-over. So I'm a, I'm up for anything if the Bible isn't true. And he looked at me, took another sip of his coffee, stuck his hand out, and he said, deal. And so we shook hands. and. The whole thing had just caught us both by surprise. And he said, what now? And I said, well, next week I'm moving to Australia. And I guess you go back to doing whatever you were doing before I called you tonight. And he said, so that that whole conversation was bullshit? I said, no, it wasn't bullshit. I, I just asked you a question. If I came to pastor the church, would you help me? And he said, yeah, yeah, but. You weren't serious about pastoring the church. I said, no, that was a serious question. 
but no one has asked me to pastor the church. I just came down here for a three-day intervention to take a report back to Portland. And so I said, uh, and he was like, I said, hey, listen, um, I believe that God's sovereign. I don't even know why I said that, but I did hear myself say it. And if God is in this thing, he'll work it out somehow. But if he's not, nobody's asked me to pastor this church, and I'm not particularly interested in pastoring any church anywhere ever. So I said, oh, brother. So I said, well, and um, he said, am I going to hear from you again? I said, I don't know. I'm headed for Australia. My wife's down saying goodbye to her parents, and I I don't know. But if, if by some strange act of God, they asked me to pastor, I've got your phone number. So he just rolled his eyes and and he said, whatever. I, I walked out and uh, I the next morning I headed for Portland with my report and slapped it down on this apostle's desk. And he said, so what'd you find out? I said, Dick, the, the same thing I always find out. Uh, everything rises or falls on leadership. They don't have strong visionary leadership. They've gone through hard times. Everybody is disgruntled and confused. And it is what it is. So he said, well, why don't you go pastor it? I said, because I don't want to be a pastor and no one has invited me. He said, well, actually they did. He said, they, they called this morning before you got here and asked if, if I had made it there. And, uh, and I said, no. And they said, well, when he comes to your office, will you ask him if he would consider moving to Yuba City and pastoring the church? And honestly, Tony, it's just like, what? So I knew God was involved in it. And my wife and I, we, we moved there in 1987. Never pastored before. You, you know the backdrop. I'd never seen miracles. I, I was disillusioned with a lot of stuff. But, but I connected with Lou and I said, I said, Lou, uh, l- let's do this. Let's really honestly look at the life of Jesus Christ, what he did and what he didn't do. And we will try to do what he did and we'll avoid what he didn't do. And uh, we'll see how that goes. So uh, everybody that was on staff, all the elders, deacons, everybody, I said, I I want everybody to step down. We're building this from the floor up and we're not building it based on what we've learned uh, from our Christian experience. We're based, we're building based on, on Jesus Christ as example. So if that doesn't work, I'm going to resign and, and uh, just be honest about it. It didn't work. We gave it our best shot. It didn't work. So I took Lou and a couple other guys that, that he, uh, recommended it. Uh, we went up to Tahoe, which is a couple hours from here and we prayed. And, uh, the last morning there, we stayed there for two and a half days. But the last uh, evening I, I woke up, uh, the next morning with a verse in my mind, which doesn't often happen to me. But anyway, uh, it was the verse that said, Jesus Christ went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil for God was with him. I thought that's it. We were trying to do what he did. That's what he did. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. So I told the guys, I said, I think God gave me this verse. I want it to be the foundation of what we do here. And 
so uh, that's our marching orders. So Lou said, how do we heal those who are oppressed of the devil? I said, I don't know. He said, okay, well, if that's our marching orders and we don't know how to do it. I said, well, well, it says he went about doing good and healing all who are oppressed of the devil. I know how to do good. So do you. So do you, Jerry. We all know how to do good. So uh, I know enough about the Bible to know that God says in the Bible, if you're faithful in little things, he'll give you greater things. And if you're faithful in natural things, he'll give you true spiritual treasures. So since none of us know how to heal those who are oppressed to the devil, and all of us know how to do good, that's what we're going to do. And so we wrote a letter to all of the community uh, service agencies, and and it just said, we're starting a new church uh, in Yuba City, and we're Christians, and uh, we're followers of, of the man Christ Jesus who went about doing good. I didn't even mention the other part of it because we didn't know how to do that. And so I said he went about doing good. So if there's anything in the city that is a good venture that we can help with, we will commit ourselves to doing our very best to help. And we got a call from Edmund Smith. He was the director of human services. He said, I got your letter. I need to know if you're sincere or if you're doing it to appease your conscience. And I said, I'm sincere. I'm not trying to appease anything. He said, well, I've been the director of Bi-County Human Services for over 20 years. No church has ever offered to help us. And I thought to myself, wow, no wonder the church is dysfunctional in America. So I said, well, uh, we're just a small group, but I will give you my word. If we can help, we will help. Where would we start? And he said, well, uh, start with single moms. He said, can you match ladies in your church with single moms and just, they never had mothers. And that's why the wheels are off the wagon. They, they don't know how to be a mom. And, and just have the women befriend these ladies. All kinds of ministries came out of that. Uh, a pretty on a shoestring was one of them. And the, the women of the church would just take a, a single mom and take her to the Goodwill shops and show her how to be beautiful without it costing hardly anything. And we did all kinds of things, uh, free daycare. And we started something called uh, Auto Docs. And uh, we just told the director of human services, if you find a legitimate need uh, for a single mom that needs car fix, we'll fix them for for free. And um, all kinds of things came out of that. It went on and on. So the church went from 70 to over 1,500. And um, it just seemed like things were going really well for a little church out in the middle of rice fields in Northern California. And my wife, uh, who is very sensitive spiritually, and of course, her grandfather was a healing evangelist who cast out demons. And she said, Dave, we, we have a big church. A lot of people are coming, but we're really not making disciples. And as she was just weeping and interceding. And she said, I don't think. I don't think God's pleased with the church the way it is. We have to figure out how to make disciples of Christ. And so anyway, um, that led to me preaching a 12-week series uh, on uncompromised Christianity. And I didn't know it at the time, but God was kind of moving us uh, toward, uh, you know, getting our, our war paint on, getting ready for spiritual warfare. And there was a lot of casual attenders that weren't really interested in 
and intensive spiritual reality. I didn't know that because I didn't know what was coming. But anyway, uh, the church kind of shrunk down to fighting weight, and um, and and we kept praying, but we kept doing uh, the the um, uh, acts of kindness. And one of them was we were going into juvenile hall. Uh, we'd go in every Monday night and uh, talk to the kids and whatnot. And we had another team that went in every Thursday night. But anyway, I'll never forget this. Uh, I was actually pretty happy and just being Mr. Nice Guy and helping single moms and taking them groceries and whatnot. It's actually very fulfilling. And uh, we did about a million and a half in in, uh, giving out of uh, groceries in our Mercy Ministries last year and even more the year before. So it's still a major focus at the church. But I was very comfortable in that. And uh, I would have personally probably been content um, moving on to that. But right right in the middle of that, um, I went into juvenile hall one day. And there's a a girl, a 14-year-old girl, locked in a plexiglass cage that was about 10 by 10 by 10. And she was in there um, sitting at a little table like this, you know. And I walked in, and she wasn't in, in the uh, population. She was right out there in the lobby. And I said, what's going on? Well, we got a special case here. We had to isolate her. I said, why? They said, why don't you get in there and talk to her and ask her? And the kind of with a smirk on her face, you know, and I said, okay. They said, you want to go in, inside the cage? And I said, why wouldn't I? They said, up to you. So the CEO turns around to his captain. He says, preacher wants to go in the case. The guy says, let him in. So they're all kind of laughing. And they opened the cage and let me in. And the girl didn't even look up. And I, I went over and. Uh, she, there was a little table with she was sitting in one chair. There's a chair on the other side, and of course, cameras filming what happened in there. <laughs> so anyway, I sat down and I said, uh, "Hello, sweetheart. My name's Dave." She said, "I'm not your sweetheart." I said, oh, "I'm sorry. I I didn't know your name. It's just a figure of speech." She said, "Well, choose another one. We're not sweethearts." And I said, "Okay." My bad. I said, uh, why are you in here? She said, I tried to kill my mother with a baseball bat and I threw her body in the river. Uh, somehow she lived and they traced it back to me. And again, I came from a, a little town of 3000 people called Emmitsville, Idaho. I uh, just like, uh, I, it just blew my mind. I said, why did you hate your mother? She said, I never said I hated her. And I said, you you bashed her head in with a bat? She said, yeah, I didn't have anything else to do it with. And I said, well, why would you do that? She said, to get her power. And I said, what does that even mean? She said, to get her power, we're Satanists. She had a lot of power, and I didn't have much. And she was being unfaithful, and my spirits told me about it. 
she said the whole coven knew she was being unfaithful. They they didn't mean like in a marriage. They meant like not faithful to Lucifer because she wanted out. She said, so me and my boyfriend did a, a Judas uh, ritual, and uh, but it didn't work. Now, I I didn't even know. I'd never heard of a Judas ritual. And I, I said, what what is that? She said, I thought you were a pastor. I said, yeah, I am. She said, well, a Judas ritual, it's, you betray somebody close to you. And I said, okay, well, um, so you betrayed her. You tried to kill her to get her power. What kind of power? I said, oh, she had all kinds of power. But, you know, if you, if you murder someone, you have access to their powers. And that, this is all new territory to me. So I just thought, you know what? Um, I, I don't know if this little girl flew over the cuckoo's nest or I, I don't know what's going on, but, but I, I think I'm done here. So I said, well, if you ever need anything, let me know. So she leans up to where the, uh, the video camera can't see what she's saying. She says real quietly. And she was just like inches away from me. She says, I need blood. And I had no idea what she was talking about. And I said, well, 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 sweetheart, I'm not a doctor. I'm a pastor. She said, I'm not your sweetheart and I'm not anemic. And I said, well, I, I don't understand. If you're not anemic, why do you need blood? She said, because I'm addicted. And I, I'll never forget, her face was 15 inches from mine. And I just said, you, you drink blood? She said, yeah. Ever heard of a vampire? And suddenly I thought, I don't know if she's messing with me, but I am done with this interview. I knocked on the glass. I said, I'm done here. And they were laughing and they let me out. And I said, how dare you put me in there with the vampire? They said, you volunteered. I said, I didn't know she's a vampire. They said, well, why, why do you think we have her separated from the population? I said, because she tried to kill her mama. And they said, all those kids have, have done that kind of thing. We had to separate her because she was she was preying on the other uh, cellmates, and and I just thought, you know what? I need to go get a job on a ranch somewhere. And uh, yeah, of course, we're in Northern California. I'd grown up in Southern Idaho on a ranch, and I just I was supposed to go in and visit with the kids. I just thought, you know what? I I'm done for today. Time for an early <laughs> lunch. Yeah. <laughs> So I went home and Cheryl said, what are you doing home? I said, you're not, this is a wild one. You're never going to believe this. They put me in a cage with a 14 year old vampire. And (laughs) my wife said, poor thing. And I said, yeah, but I'm okay. She said, I wasn't talking about you. I was talking about her. (laughs) And I said, you're, I, I was almost the victim. She's the vampire. And my wife said, but Dave, think about it. She's 14 years old and she's addicted to human blood. What kind of a life is that? And, and I love my wife, Cheryl. She's one of the most compassionate people I've ever known. But at the time, I just said, this is, this is totally ridiculous. 
Uh, I am done doing this. I This is way out of my league. I said, you really think there are vampires? She said, Dave, why would they have locked her in a cage? I said, well, well so, so you think that's a thing? She said, yeah, obviously it is. So I just, it just uh, redlined my tack and I just thought, uh, I'm not really cut out for, for this. And so that was one of a number of uh, circumstances that happened just to blow my mind. I, I know, Tony, from your story, you, you've had things that blew your mind like, yeah. whoa, if that be true, uh, what else don't I know about? Right. Absolutely. And so uh, then we got a call from. Um, remember I told you when I was doing the Bible cause, there's only one guy I knew that actually cast out demons and healed people. And that was missionary Jack Sisler. And, um, I got a call from him. He said, uh, you remember me? I, I was a friend of your father. I know your father's in heaven and, uh, God put you on my heart and, um, I want to be your spiritual father. God told me to be your spiritual father. And I said, oh, well, thank you, Jack. He said, well, don't thank me. You, you don't know what that means yet. But anyway, it's an assignment from God. So you'll be hearing from me. So a little while later, he called back. He said, David, this is Jack Sisler again. Remember I told you I'd be a spiritual father to you? Yep. He said, well, uh, I wasn't thinking about you. God put you on my heart and told me to buy you a book and write a message in it to you. And bring it to you this weekend. So I'll see you this weekend. And, um, you know, I the, at that point, the church was 1,500. It's like, you, you don't just tell people, I'll see you this weekend. You ask if they if you can come, you know, but not him. He said, see you this weekend. So anyway, he came and he brought me this book. And it's called, uh, He Came to Set the Captives Free by Rebecca Brown. And as you can see, it has a Druid high priest uh, on a suspended pentagram over the flames of hell that's shackled. And there's an angelic sword coming out of the heavens to break the chains. So anyway, <laughs> I mean, I grew up reading Western Horsemen, right? <laughs> and Louis L'Amour. I looked at that thing and I said, gee, Jack, that's kind of weird. And he put his hands on my shoulders and he said, David, the world is much weirder than you have ever imagined. I said, okay, so so I'm supposed to read the book. He said, open it and read it. Here's the, the message that's in there, but I've memorized it. It says, dear David, Cheryl, our dear friends who we love, may this true account equip you to take your rightful place in the front lines of spiritual warfare. Love, Jack. I read it, and I said, well, cool. He said, cool? I said, well, Thank, thank you. He said, thank you. I said, well, Jack, I'm trying to be polite here. I, I'm not sure exactly what I'm supposed to say. And he said, well, you're, you're supposed to accept that as an assignment from God. I'm a prophet. I said, okay. And um, he said, read that book and we'll talk more. Well, I honestly tried to, Tony, and th this book is about the rituals of defilement that are used to uh, to defile a human so completely that they qualify to bear the seed of Satan, the moon child. And honestly, 
I looked at that and I thought, I don't know if this is true or not, but either way, I don't want to be a part of it. And so I didn't read it for eight years. And eight years later, Jack called and he said, David, I know you haven't read the book. You should have. God gave you eight years to prepare, but uh, you're about to be face to face with the devil and you're not ready for it. And he's, I, he said, uh, I'm, I'm in Chile, but I'm going to fly there to see you because you need, you need it. And so I'll see you this weekend. And I said, uh, Jack, if you're in Chile, you, you don't need to come. He said, I don't take my orders from you, David. I take them from God. He said, you're in trouble. You don't even know it. You haven't appreciated the time God gave you to prepare. And I'll see you this weekend. So that was Jack. He was just a, uh, a rough old cob, but boy, did he hear from God. So he showed up and I asked, how long do I have? He said, you have one week. I said, so you're telling me a week from today, I'm going to be face to face with the devil and I'm not prepared for it. He said, that's exactly what I'm telling you. So I said, what am I supposed to do? He said, well, you need to repent, ask God to forgive you for being hard hearted, for despising prophecy, which the Bible tells you not to do. And for ignoring everything that God told you. And I said, you mean that Jack told me? He said, that's the nature of a prophet, David. They speak for God. And I said, okay. So, so um, yeah, uh, let me repent. And, uh, you know, I prayed. And he helped me. And he told me, he asked God to forgive you for um, not being sincere in your leadership and for for uh, making Jesus your savior, but not allowing him to be Lord. And, I mean, he, that boy hammered me. But anyway, I, I I prayed to repent. And I said, I guess it's no use um, uh, trying to petition God to choose somebody else. He said, read the book of Jonah. And I said, I, I, I know this story. He said, okay. He said, listen, David, God created you for a specific purpose. You're not living in it. He's trying to get you there and you're resisting. So he said, take a week off, fast and pray. Ask God to forgive you and ask him for mercy. And uh, you, a week from now, you're going to be face to face with the devil and know you can't get out of it. So we took a week off and um, and that's what we did. We uh, fasted and prayed and, and uh, he told me to read the book, but I, I still couldn't wrap my head around it. And um, so anyway, we came back and uh, had a, um, a, a salvation service, and several people responded to receive Christ. One of them was looked like a street person. Uh, she was uh, badly broken up; her, her face had been broken up, and she had uh, you know bolts in her the bones to hold her face together and whatnot. And, and we didn't know who she was, but. She, you know, we had been reaching out to street people for years. And so I gave her one of my cards and I said, hey, if you ever need any help, uh, you're in a family now. You don't have to face anything alone and uh, we'll we'll help you as much as we can. So the next day we got a phone call at the church. It was her. She said, uh, she said, this is uh, I'm, I'm the lady uh, they had the yin yang necklace because I had commented on it. She said, I'm in the, the bushes in front of the courthouse and witches are trying to kill me. 
And if you don't come right away, I don't think I'm going to live. So we rushed down there. Sure enough, she came clambering out of the bushes in front of the courthouse, jumped into the back seat, uh, said, take me away before they see you or they'll come after you too. The whole thing was surreal. And, um, you know, uh, we didn't know what to think about it, frankly. But we moved her into our house. We baptized her in water. Uh, God told us to give her a ring and to announce everybody that she was the bride of Christ, uh, which was very significant, though we didn't know it at the time. And then all hell broke loose. And night after night, uh, from the first night she was in our house, uh, at 2 o'clock, at, at, when the clock uh, told, all hell would break loose. And it was um, it was almost a straight-up learning curve on on occult level deliverance. And so uh, that's that's how this whole thing got started. And uh, we didn't know, honestly, Tony, we didn't know who to ask for help. Jack was back in international missions and no one in America seemed to know what to do. I didn't have one person that I could call that had had experience in deliverance. And so, you know, we listened to A.A. A. Allen's uh, records and we read the Bible and we we did our best and God miraculously helped us. And we just began to cast demons out of her every night, every night, every night. I didn't even know what the witching hour was, but I asked her about the third night, well, why does this always attack you at two? She said, duh, it's the witching hour. It's uh, uh, Satanists and occult practitioners. Uh, they do blood sacrifices to pay demons off. Uh, from midnight to two, and at two o'clock they conjure the demons that they've paid in blood to do deeds for them, and then the demons go out and attack the people that they they conjure them up uh, to uh, send the demons against. I didn't know that; it was all news to me. Uh, I know it well now, but uh, so you know, we we um, uh, th- there were uh, probably about six weeks of intense deliverance every night, exhausting to us before we found out who she was. And uh, that happened uh, on a road trip. Uh, and we'd been fighting against a, uh, a native Indian spirit uh, called the Piazza bird. And uh, so we were headed to a speaking engagement for me. And uh, every few uh miles it seemed like we'd have to pull off the road and and do deliverance and they were indian spirits that we were dealing with we still didn't know why but um uh we were going from california to oregon we had to go through nevada and we went through the winnemucca indian nation and when when we crossed the border uh, into the winnemucca indian nation instantly all the car doors flew open and uh, a spirit tried to kill Deborah. Uh, she was she was going by Ramona at the time. We didn't know who she was, but anyway, a spirit tried to toss her out of the van. Uh, it, it was a harrowing experience. We finally got the van stopped and got her back into the van. During the process, she grabbed a, a gun of mine from under the seat and tried to shoot me. It was a wild deal. We finally got. The gun away from her, the van stopped, and and she was obviously under the power of a very strong demon. And I said, who, who are you, and why did you jump on Ramona? 
And the spirit, I'll never forget, he said, you fool, you don't even know who she is. And I said, she's Ramona Jarnigan. He said, no, she's not Ramona Jarnigan. And she's defiled by the blood of a virgin sacrifice, which gives me the right to kill her if she comes onto my territory. All new stuff to me. I didn't know about spiritual territories. I didn't know about marks. This, this spirit said, uh, when a human is marked, uh, any spirit can see the mark. And, you know, I thought about some of the verses in the Bible that, you know, don't let these things happen until all of the elect are marked, right? Uh, and there's the mark of the beast and there's the mark of Cain, right? Well, it's a spiritual reality. And this spirit said, she bears the mark of a virgin sacrifice, and that gives me the right to kill her if I want to, and I want to kill her. So anyway, uh, I, I um, don't recommend doing this. I'm just telling you what happened. We were new at this, and I said, well, obviously, you don't have the power to kill her or she would be dead. You tried your best. It didn't work, and this is a home game for you. All If, if you're the power spirit of this nation, every demon— uh, on this reservation, just saw you get your butt handed to you. So I said, uh, I'm pretty new at this, but uh, I, I only see one or two options. Uh, either you can leave and will leave and forget this ever happened, uh, or or we can fight it out, in which case it's not about you versus me. It's about you versus Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, the Savior of mankind, and you know you can't win that fight. So if it takes one hour or if it takes 24 hours, we will keep fighting until you finally leave. And all of the demons on the Winnemucca Indian Reservation are going to see you lose a fight to a rookie. And I know those, those thoughts came from God because I, I wasn't smart enough to think that through at the time. But, but this spirit said, you promised not to come back? I said, yeah said, okay, I'll leave. And suddenly he was gone. And Ramona, as we called her at the time, she came to her senses. She said something bad happened in it. There was stuff scattered all over the highway. It was, you know, it was a really harrowing experience. And I said, yeah, something bad happened. She said, what? I said, we'll talk about it when we get off the reservation. So we drove off the reservation and that's where we found out who she was because I asked her to get out of the van. She said, are you angry? And I said, yes, I am angry. And the reason I'm angry is because we have taken you into our house. Uh, we've, we've risked everything to help you. We've prayed for you hours and hours every night, and you're lying to us. And she said, what do you mean? I said, that spirit told us we didn't even know your real name. You weren't Ramona Jarnigan. And you were defiled by the blood of a virgin sacrifice. And I said, I, I have had it with you lying to us. We'll go to hell and back to help you if you will tell the truth. But I am not going to risk the lives of my three sons and my daughter because you're lying. I am not going to do that. The truth sets you free. No truth, no freedom. So even if we wanted to, we couldn't help you as long as you're lying. So we were outside by the van. Uh, on the highway there. And she said, are you going to leave me here? And I said, I, I haven't decided yet. 
But if I am not absolutely convinced that you've told me the truth, yes, I'm going to leave you here. Just going to drive down the highway, act like we never saw you. That won't be my fault. It'll be your fault because you chose to keep honoring the father of lies. And that doesn't work. If you want to be a Christian, you, you have to embrace the truth, however hard that is. So the decision is yours. So who are you? And she's crying and she was just a little bitty thing. And she's kneeling by the highway. And she said, if I tell you the truth, will you promise not to uh, ask me to leave your family? And I said, yeah, if you, if you tell the truth. So she said, well, my, no, my name's not Ramona Jarnigan. My name is Ray Ray LeVay. And my father was Anton LeVay. Well, I, I had heard of Anton LeVay. And I said, the guy that carries the big snake around? She said, yeah, but that's not a real snake. That's Leviathan, his power spirit. And it can transmogrify and uh, shapeshift and do all kinds of things. Very powerful. So uh, she said that the virgin sacrifice was my little sister, Delana Starr. She said, I didn't want to do it. Anton put his hands over mine. Uh, around the dagger and cut her heart out to sacrifice to Satan. She said, I love my little sister. I would never have done that. But that's what the, the spirit was talking about, the blood of virgin sacrifice. She said, it's a terrible thing. And she said, I, I have had a, a horrific life. And she said, I've been through six uh, of, of a battery of seven horrific, uh, rituals. And she said, uh, I, I'm not going to do the seventh one. Well, I had, I had dabbled in this book enough to know the seven rituals. And I said, are you talking about the rituals of defilement? Well, she was shocked that I'd ever heard of them. She said, yeah, I've been through the bride of the beast ceremony and this Halloween, I'm supposed to be the bride of Satan. And I will kill myself before that happens. I will never allow myself to bear the seed of Satan. And so um, I said, uh, okay, uh, we're with you. Uh, uh, and she said, you know, the church of Satan will come after you. And I said, well, uh, what's new? Every night we've had demons in our house. We, we just had the power spirit of the Winnemucca Indian nation come after us. I said, at this point, it's just another day at the office. So we're just going to trust God and we'll fast and pray and do whatever it takes and, and we'll help you get free. And so that's how it all started. And then I said, is there anything else? She said, yeah. She said, I told you I got in a car wreck, but that's not true. And I said, well, why would you lie about what happened to you? She said, well, it's embarrassing. But she said, my, my I have a teenage daughter and she tried to beat me to death with a baseball bat and then threw my body into the river. And she said, angel, she said, I don't know if I died or not, but anyway, angels revived me and pulled me out of the river and set me by the highway. And uh, a family found me there and took me to the hospital and, and they, uh, you know, helped me recover and uh, did surgery on my face. Well, you know, uh, we we aren't a huge uh, 
metropolitan area, but I thought, what are the chances of two teenage girls beating their mother to death with a bat and throwing her in a river? And so I just said, um, is your daughter by any chance a vampire? She said, yes. How, how did you know that? <laughs> oh, my I said, gosh. Well, I got stuck in a cage with her <laughs> in juvenile. She said, oh, yeah, she's they're trying her for attempted murder. And, yeah, she's a vampire. And, and you know, I just thought only God can pull off a story like this. The, the prophet says you need to read this book. I don't know why, but God tells me you need to read the book. Her being through six of the seven rituals, uh, God bring her into our house, me connecting with her daughter. The whole thing was just like, oh my goodness. But you know what, Tony, it, what it did for me is uh, it, it caused me to have an unshakable faith in the power and wisdom of God to control human events. And I thought, wow, this is amazing. Obviously, God is involved. Obviously, he has a plan. And so because of that, obviously, we're, we're going to win this fight. And so that was in June. The months, uh, the end of June, July, all the way through October, uh, we were in a punch out with the Church of Satan. And it's all recorded in that book. I, I think time-wise, we're probably uh, about uh, are we about to the end of the the time allotted or where are we at, Tony? Since I'm the boss, you, we can go as far as we want to go. So if you want to keep going, I can keep listening, man. This is, this okay. is fascinating. Uh, I, I, I think, listen, if I, if, if I said, oh yeah, I think we're at the end of it and stuff, the audience would be like, I hate you. I'm never listening to the show again. <laughs> you know? Well, well, okay. I just, I wanted to be sensitive to the timing, but I'll tell you what happened. Uh, she was kneeling there on the highway and uh, she said, so I can stay in your family. And I said, yes, but I want you to remember this lesson. Truth sets you free. Whatever, however horrifying it is, uh, we love you. And, and, and we know that um, you've been involved in things that you would have never chosen. So just be honest and God will help us. And so she said, okay. She said, can I, can I change my name? And I said, well, I, I suppose so. She said, I, I don't want you to ever mention Ray Ray again. She said, I hate that name. I hate everything it stands for. She said, I want to be named Deborah Joy Bryan. And I was a little shocked, Tony, because she obviously had been thinking about this and, and trying to figure out a way to get the courage to tell us who she was and what we were in for. So anyway, I, I said, wow, you had it all picked up? She said, oh, yeah. She said, um, a prophet named Benny Hinn called me out of a whole coliseum. And she said, I had gone there because when I went to churches, I'd always, demons would take me over and they'd always turn me into mental health. So I had already decided that churches couldn't help me. And uh, I went into this, this big miracle crusade in uh, the auditorium in Sacramento. He called me out of the crowd. I tried to hide. He said, you can hide from me, but you can't hide from your heavenly father. He knows you. He loves you. He knows the extreme torment that you've been through. And he said, you never had 
a, a, a real father. He said a real father would have never done uh, to you what happened to you. But he said God loves you and he sees your heart and he's prepared a family for you. But it's not in Sacramento. It's in a place called Yuba City. And he said God uh, will bring you into a family, a pastor there will take you into his home and treat you as his own daughter. And your story will go around the world and impact thousands and thousands of people. So anyway, we found out about all this, of course, after the fact, she was already in our home. And, uh, and I said, well, that's a cool story. So she said, yeah, um, that's what I was doing in Yuba City. I was looking for a pastor that would take me into his home. And and you you did. So anyway, uh, so, um, of course she warned us that now that you, now that Anton knows that you know who I am, uh, the church of Satan will come after you and they'll, she said that people have no idea how evil they are. They will murder people. Uh, they torture people. She said, uh, it goes beyond anybody, anything that people can imagine. And, and, uh, they will be very spiteful because she said, I was conceived. Remember, uh, I told you that a lot of the the most powerful demonstrations of the occult were Indian spirits. And I didn't understand that. She's a little white girl. And and um, she, she said, I was conceived in a power ritual between uh, Anton LaVey as the leader of Crowleyite Satanism in the world and the Alini Indian nation, whose power spirit is the Piazza bird, i.e. the Thunderbird, i.e. the Phoenix, which is always the top of the totem pole. And the Indian totem pole represents the power structure of North American Indian spirits. So the most powerful one is on the top of the totem pole, and that's the Piazza bird. So... Um, so anyway, of course, I didn't know all that stuff, but she said, so uh, Anton uh, did a sex ritual with Madine, who was this uh, Alini Indian witch that was very, very powerful. And they were hoping that that out of that uh, that union, that it would combine all of the powers of the North American Indians and all the powers of Crowleyite Satanists. So she said, I came out of that. And uh, Madine wanted me to be sacrificed uh, to the, the Piazza bird. And Anton uh, wouldn't let that happen because he wanted me to have a chance at becoming the bride of Satan. So she said, Anton took me and I went through years of satanic ritual abuse. She said, uh, all, all satanic ritual abuse, they're, they're, qualifying people at, at different levels of usefulness in the kingdom of darkness. And, and she said, many, many uh, children never survive satanic ritual abuse. They take their own lives or they die from the intensity of the abuse. But she said, I, I survived years of satanic ritual abuse, years of handlers. When they felt like I was ready, they came and said, it's time for you to start the rituals of defilement. She said, uh, for the last six years, every Halloween, I've gone through a terrible ritual. And uh, and this Halloween is supposed to be the culmination of the whole thing. 
where uh, Lucifer will appear and will rape me. And if I am evil enough, if I'm dedicated enough to darkness, he might impregnate me with what they call a moon child or um, uh, the the product of Lucifer, the human woman, which, of course, the Antichrist will be one such being. But anyway, uh, so... So that's when it started with the Church of Satan properly. Obviously, they were conjuring demons. We were fighting all of them. But now Anton knew. We started getting, um, we started getting threats on our, our phones, our cell phones, the phones here at the church. And they threatened the most vile, evil things imaginable. So I won't go through them. But a really just bizarre uh macabre uh, threats against us and our boys and my wife. And so we have uh, six of them. Uh, There are many threats in each recording, but we have six recordings that are filed with the, um, with the attorney general of the state of California because of their heinous nature. And they uh, would sacrifice animals, uh, mainly uh, dogs and cats and birds. At one time, a llama, a full-size llama, was sacrificed here on the church property. They would uh, turn rattlesnakes loose in our yard, in our, our home. We had three little boys at the time, and or three fairly young boys. They were uh, 10, 12, and 14 at the time. But anyway, um, they, they did all kinds of things. They did rituals with corn and semen on our on our uh, front porch and just bizarre things. And so it was fairly intense. Now, during that time, Anton LaVey began to astral project into Deborah Joy. Some people don't understand that. So give me just a minute to explain that. Uh, I know, Tony, you're familiar with the astral plane and not everybody is, but there's a, a spiritual plane that's all around us, uh, and it's inhabited by all kinds of beings. And any being that doesn't have a corporal body can can be on that astral plane. So there are angels, there are demons, there are all kinds of you know variations on the theme. There are the 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 unquiet dead. There are all kinds of things out there on the astral plane. Very very busy, uh, much busier than the mortal plane. But anyway. It's an unseen realm. And so uh, carnal people don't believe it exists, uh, which once you understand it, it's just like, a, like how, how could anyone not believe the spiritual plane exists? It's, it's huge. It controls everything. But anyway, uh, especially in America, which is so pathetically carnal, even in the church, People don't understand the spirit world. If you travel, the this is interesting, Tony. The further away from organized Western religion you are, the more spiritual people are. Isn't that something? Isn't that something? You go into the islands of the sea, they get it, the spirit realm. Uh, miracles are nobody questions miracles. The, the only thing they question is what is the source of the miracle? Is it good? Uh, what what demon did that? Blah blah blah. 
Um, sometime, Tony, you and I should talk about Vanuatu. And, you know, Vanuatu, the, the, um, <laughs> the national sport of Vanuatu is black magic. They wow. don't play soccer or football or baseball or cricket. Their national sport is black magic. And man, those boys can throw down. And, uh, and so when you travel, you, you, you see the least spiritual culture in the entire world is America, followed by, you know, Canada and, and, you know, Western Europe. But, but, um, America, uh, is spiritually blind in every way. So anyway, um, but so for some of your listeners, this might be new news, but this, this very busy astral plane, we are, uh, triune beings. We, we have a spirit soul, but that's, that's two different functions. So there's the spirit soul and physical body. The physical body is simply a meat sack. Uh, so uh, our, our real selves live in the physical body. But uh, if you come out of your physical body, which I thank God that, that I've done that before, because it will change your worldview drastically the first time you're beside yourself, so to speak. And you're like, oh, wow, that's my meat sack laying over there. Here I am. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, uh so, uh, of course, millions of people have had that experience, and, and it's, it's ancient. It's all down. It's in the Bible. People just don't realize it's in the Bible. But uh, anyway, uh, e Elisha clearly was astral projecting into uh, to hear what the, the king, um, what was the nation that was, it was a nation that was trying to take over the Israelites, and they thought they had a spy, and so they were going to kill all of the officers. And one officer said, oh, please don't kill everybody. Uh, there's no spies here. But the, the, there's a prophet in Israel, and he sneaks, slips into your bedchamber and listens to everything that you say. Well, there were miles and miles and miles between where Elisha was living and the Syrian king. And that clearly is the biblical precedent to what still happens at the Department of Defense, it's called astral spying. Mm. And we even have an official program that was pioneered, by the way, by Anton LaVey. Uh, Anton LaVey had a top, uh, above top secret clearance at the Department of Defense and the Pentagon because he pioneered the astral, uh, it's called remote viewing or astral spying. And that's what he did because he was a world-class astral projector. So, he would go in the spirit realm, the unseen realm. Your spirit is not visible to natural eyes. So, uh, so specters, spirits, they're all around us, good and bad. And some of them can appear uh, on demand anytime they want. And others, they're stuck in the invisible realm. But it's a very, very busy place out there. But, um, uh, but if, if you come out of your physical body, you're in that realm. And so you can see your physical body. You'll also see a translucent blue-white cord that goes from the, the center of your spirit man uh, into the, the, the heart chakra of, of your meat sack. That gives you permission to 
inhabit that meat sack. And if if it, that silver cord is cut, you are dead. You are a disembodied spirit. And then, uh, you know, uh, God sends you wherever you need to go. But you're officially dead. Saint or sinner, if that, if that silver cord is cut, you're dead. That's why uh, Solomon, who was the, the greatest occult practitioner of all time, an occult adept. Um, and uh, that's why he said in Ecclesiastes, a- after he had lived a long sinful life, uh, he threw himself on the mercies of God. He came back into the good graces of God. And he said in Ecclesiastes chapter 11, he says, therefore, hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Serve God and keep his commandments. It's the whole duty of man. And he says, and serve God before your silver cord is cut, i.e. before you die. After your silver cord is cut, there are no altar calls. It's, it's a done deal. So anyway, that's in the book of Ecclesiastes. And the silver cord, there, there are two, I think, the two best examples of it, if you've never heard of it and want to snoop it out are uh, the uh, the movie by Shirley MacLaine called Out on a Limb. It's about astral projections, and she was uh, a new age practitioner. And so Out on a Limb by Shirley MacLaine. And um, you can fast forward to the scene in the hot tub where she astral projects, and it portrays that. Uh, but anyway, the other one is the um, Disney cartoon Hercules. and Disney. It's coming out now with uh, pedophilia and all, all kinds of stuff. But Disney was an occult practitioner. Uh, he, he was not Mr. Nice Guy who loved kids. He was an occult adept. And that's why there's so much occult imagery w- woven through the Disney cartoons, like the Sorcerer's Apprentice and all, all, all these kind of things, Aladdin and the the um, uh, the djinn, all, all that. But... Um, but in his Hercules movie, Hercules leaves his body and he goes into the afterworld, the spirit realm, to try to rescue the spirit of his girlfriend while he's out of his body. Uh, remember that Hades tells the witches, cut his silver cord. Yes. And they can't remember there's something wrong with the scissors. They yes. won't work. They weren't able to cut his silver cord. And so he was able to come back into his body. And, and and then you know uh, Jack slap Hades. That's the the whole cartoon. But anyway, those are clear portrayals of how it actually works. So so I said all that to say this: uh, Anton Lavey was one of the premier astro projectors uh, in the world, and he astro projected. He left his body. By the way, if you see a human body, and the spirit man is on the astral plane, that body. Any doctor, any medic, uh, any uh, EMT guy would say that body's dead uh, because I, I had a captain of the fire department that was real close to calling the police department on me because he thought I was hosting a dead body. And I said, I said, John, please don't call the police. You're going to embarrass yourself because any moment uh, DJ is going to come back into her body and be fully alive and fine and nothing wrong with her. And you're going to look like a fool. But anyway, thankfully, he was a friend. He said, I'll give you 10 minutes. She came back. He was totally bamboozled. He said, I deal with life and death all the time. I I deal with people in comas. 
that body had no life in it. I said, of course it didn't. The life is the spirit soul. Uh, and, and it was gone. Uh, but the silver cord was still attached. So it had a right to come back, animate the body again, and all, all be well. So uh, with that backdrop, Anton would astral project into Deborah Joy. And uh, if you're thinking, well, I thought she gave her life to the Lord. How could he do that? The answer is, and Tony, you and I talked about this earlier, about portals, gateways from one realm to another. But the portal was a, um, it was an organic fetish. A fetish is something that is completely dedicated to the occult realm. And, and so um, it, it becomes a, a portal. It might be a, a juju a bag or a necklace or a ring or there's all kinds of things. Uh, but she had an eternal fetish. And that is something that is actually um, inserted into the body. And so it's always with you. And it is a, a permanently open portal for, uh, for spirits to come into you. Mm. And so anyway, that's, uh, he, he would come into her uh, for all intents and purposes this is uh, this is Trinidadian zombieism. That's what it's based on. But uh, what, what happens is we call it a body jacking because uh, we're all familiar with a carjacking. And a carjacking, let, let's say I own the car, my car. I have the keys. I have the the uh, the title. But I happen to stop at a stop sign in Oakland. And uh, somebody just opens the door and smacks me upside the head, pushes me out of the driver's seat and steps in. Now, is it his car now? No, it's not his car. It's my car. And he's commandeered it uh, by force of strength. And so he drives it around and you're over there as a hostage in your own car. Well, spirits do the exact same thing with bodies. And so, uh, so. Anton LaVey would come in to her body, bump her out of the driver's seat. What do, what do I mean by that? She's still alive. She can hear what's happening. But her features, her hands, her feet, her eyes, her mouth, everything is being controlled by Anton LaVey. And um, so I mentioned Trinidadian zombieism. That's what that is based on. And, and uh, I don't have time to go into that. But anyway, it happened regularly to... Uh, to Deborah Joy. We call her DJ. And by the way, she's alive and well and married to a, a man she met at our church. And uh, it's a wonderful story of God's redemption. But uh, just like that, all of a sudden, uh, sometimes we'd feel it because you can sense spiritual things, but sometimes not. But all of a sudden, Anton LaVey would be motivating her and either trying to kill us with a butcher knife or kick us in the crotch or jab us in the eye or whatever he could do and but it would not be her uh, a lot of times she'd come out of that and just begin to cry and say i'm so sorry daddy i would have never let that happen but he's more powerful than i so anyway um but during those times he would talk to me and curse me and everything but uh he always called me preacher boy I've never had anybody else my entire life call me preacher boy. But that was his way of trying to demean me. So he'd always call me preacher boy. 
And he would never say the name of Jesus because there's such power in the name of Jesus. He would always refer to Jesus Christ as the pathetic weakling. And told him we had fascinating conversations. What I mean by that is, I, I don't know who else in the world may have had this, but I got the doctrine of the Church of Satan, the Crowleyite Satanism, right out of the mouth of Anton LaVey. And, um, uh, you know, he told me, he said, we believe that God tried to rescue the world, but he failed. He sent his son, uh, he came in the flesh, and we killed him, and he stayed dead. So that's why we call him the pathetic weakling, and we worship the dark lord. Uh, because he's more powerful. Now, that's actually what they think. They believe in all the miracles of Christ, uh, except the resurrection. They do not believe in the resurrection of the dead. Of course, that's the operative theme of an authentic Christian, is Christ uh, was resurrected from the dead. And uh, that gives us access to a realm of spiritual power that is unique to authentic Christianity. By the way, it's not even found in the Christian religion. It's not the Christian religion. Uh, it, it's the power of resurrection life that is found by union with Christ. And it's missing in the great American religious enterprise throughout the world, resurrection life. Just thought I'd throw that in there because um, the world is not looking for uh, the great American religious enterprise. The world is looking for resurrection life and the impact it can make on the human soul. The world desperately needs that. It does not need religion. America fell to hell in a handbasket with a church on every corner. Think about that. Um, so that, that tells you something about the, the um, ineptness of organized religion. But anyway, I don't want to get sidetracked. So back to Anton LaVey, uh, we, we had... Uh, it was a frequent thing. And he would say, you wait till Halloween gets here, preacher boy, then you'll see why we worship the dark Lord instead of the pathetic weakling. He had, he had said that over and over and over again. And he many times threatened to kill us. And I remember one time, um, uh, I'll tell you two instances. He, he uh, uh, came through uh, Deborah Joy. He astral projected into her. He said, uh, preacher boy, uh, we're going to show, we're going to teach you a lesson tonight. He said, tonight we're going to sacrifice a bull and uh, I'm going to eat its heart and drink a gallon of its urine and curse you and your family. And, and I, I remember thinking, it must suck to be a Satanist. Because that, that is a high level of dedication. <laughs> and I remember saying, knock yourself out, Anton. I said, I, I just want you to know something. Uh, my boys and I, and my wife, we're going to watch a movie, have a great time, eat popcorn, and thank God for a good life. So you might want to do a reality check on, on the value system that you're living under. And I said, you know, uh, you curse us at every holiday, every new moon. You curse us all the time. And we don't even notice it's happening, dude. Uh, of course, he'd rant and rave and get angry and curse and, and, and leave, you know. That's how it, we would get him to leave Deborah Joy. It's really interesting, Tony. The first time I tried to cast him out, 
He just said, F you, preacher boy. He said, I'm not a demon. And I said, well, you're an evil spirit. He said, yeah, but I'm not a demon. He said, I'm still on technically on the mortal plane. He said, you know, uh, you know better than to try to cast me out. He said, human beings can blaspheme Christ if they want. And that's what I want to do. He said, I don't have to obey Christ. No human being has to obey Christ. They, they can choose to, but I don't have to. So what you do to demons, you can't do to me. And I, I just thought, how do you like them apples? You know, it, it makes sense. <laughs> He's a human. We see humans blaspheme Christ all the time, right? Yeah. And uh, so anyway, what we would do is we, we would just uh, put our hand over uh, DJ's mouth so we didn't have to listen to his blasphemy. And I, I read the Bible to him. I, you know, I'd, I'd just do a full-on altar call and say, Anton, as much as you hate Christ, he loves you. You're made in his likeness. And, him. you know, he's just trying to, you know, say F you or something. We just like, no, nah, nah, we're not going to let you say anything. But if you stay here, you're going to hear the gospel preached to you. And, of course, he would leave. Uh, but then it would happen again. It it, it was a recurring uh, issue. But uh, he threatened us. He threatened, and he, uh, okay, another time, he was ranting and raving about killing us. And I said, Anton, every time we talk, you tell us how powerful you are and how weak we are. You are, you're nothing. I'm the world's greatest sorcerer, and you're nothing, preacher. I said, okay, so supposing that is true, my question is why you don't just kill us and come rescue your daughter. Well, it's not because of you. I said, I'm not asking you what it's not because of. I'm asking you what it's because of. Why don't you come get your daughter? And he, he said, oh, it's, it's all those damned angels that surround you. And honestly, Tony, I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. And I said, well, uh, just minor correction, damned angels surround you. These are the angels of God, and they're more powerful than any damned angels, and and that's what I that's what I wanted you to have to say. The reason you don't have your daughter with you is because the angels of God surround us everywhere you go, and you know that you don't have the power to take your daughter back. Of course, that made him angry, but it was true, and. Um, Boy, did we learn to respect the guardians, the angels of God, uh, the warring angels that God sends. We, we, this season, which was not easy, Tony, it was not an easy season, but boy, oh boy, was it a, a lot more valuable than anything I learned at Bible college because we learned the reality of the innumerable hosts and, and how they, covered us in the day of war and how, uh, you know, uh, it, it wasn't about uh, our, our, pro, uh, our, uh, uh, our abilities as spiritual warriors. It was about the fact that we were God's kids and we were doing the right thing. And he, he covered us and he helped us. And in our weakness, he was strong. And this great sorcerer that ranted raves that I have the ability to curse people to death like really because you haven't even given us a sniffle 
in all these months of you cursing and huffing and puffing and drinking bull urine and everything you've been doing, <laughs> you, you haven't even given us a sniffle. Well, of course, they didn't like that, but it was true. And that's why, you know, the, the, it's a beautiful testimony in every way, but, but, uh, it forever changed our lives at a, a very deep and fundamental level because suddenly the, the victory of Christ, the power of resurrection life, the reality of angels that watch us, uh, it wasn't a, a theological concept anymore. It, uh, it wasn't just a lesson. It was a reality of life. You talk about boost your faith. Oh, my goodness. So anyway, this, this story, we could go on for months because it happened every day. There, there wasn't an off day. Every day, something was happening. But anyway, uh, it was just a steep learning curve. And, you know, I, I was learning and unlearning at the same time. Like all the things that that uh, Bible college instructor, instructors that never had uh, a bit of experience in the spirit realm, uh, all the things that they had taught us, which we now know, we call it SMU, that stuff made up. like. Nah, they were just making stuff up. That's not true. But anyway, so we were unlearning that, and we were we were learning things. And when uh, when DJ came into our house, she said, uh, "I'm so thankful that God brought me into your family. Uh, you're going to teach me a lot, and I'm going to teach you a lot." And when she first said that, we thought, "No, we're going to teach you." And, and I mean, what what are you going to teach us. Uh, you, you've just had this miserable life of static ritual abuse, but oh my goodness, was she right. We learned all kinds of things. Uh, and uh, again, just uh, just issues that were so real to her. I remember uh, she her third eye, in her case, the third eye would sink in and actually look like an eye in her forehead. Get out of would, town, really? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, wow. you didn't have to say, is she going on to the astral plane? It's like, Deborah, do not use that. Do not use <laughs> But anyway, and Anthony, if you put uh, anointing oil in it, oh my gosh, all the hell would break loose. Don't put that in our eye. <laughs> really? So we, oh yeah. We learned all kinds of things. But um, I remember one time, uh, one of the hardest things that she had to renounce was using the third eye. And let me just say this, that if God opens up any of our spiritual gifts, hallelujah, we, we need to have our spiritual gifts operating. But if demons open them up, that's a whole different deal. And so uh, we had her renounce all of the, the quite impressive powers that she had because she had gotten them uh, from the dark side. And I remember when, when uh, she that had been astral projecting in to see her daughter who uh, went to a uh, kid's prison for attempted murder. But, you know, she was talking to her and, and uh, actually witnessing to her, but uh, she didn't want to give up the power of astral projection. And I remember one time, Tony, she said, I said, you need to renounce this. She said, do I have to give up all my powers? And I said, you need to give up all your spiritual powers that you got from satanic ritual. And then ask God, if you want me to do something, 
empowered by the light of of Christ and of truth, then you give me back a, a good gift, but not a perverted one. And and she was crying. She said, well, Dad, if I give up all my powers, will I be as powerless as you are? <laughs> and I said, I said, DJ, I don't want you to be powerless, but I'll tell you what, I have to use keys to get into doors. And uh, I, I, if I want to get something off the table, I have to walk over, pick it up, instead of just fetching it through the air, which she could do. She could just look at something, and it would come into her hand. She had all kinds of spiritual powers. But, but I said, but uh, I don't get raped by demons at night. I don't get choked out. I don't get uh, taken hostage and my spirit man taken into rituals. And um, this probably redlines some people's tack, but there's all kinds of things that happen on, on the astral plane. And they're, they're uh, every bit as real as anything that would happen on the temporal plane more real in certain senses but anyway uh so so we had months of uh, uh extreme learning and god was gracious uh and i'm forever thankful for that but uh remember anton always said you'll see on halloween eve so uh, we'll cut to the chase and I'll, I'll end with this uh on halloween eve we knew that this is the big showdown this is the it, it's really the culmination of decades preparing uh, who he called Ray Ray LeVay, preparing her for the, the Bride of Satan ceremony. Decades he had invested into. So uh, so he was he was PO'd, there's no doubt about that. Uh, but uh, but anyway, uh, when it came down to Halloween Eve and we knew that he was up to something, I got a team of intercessors to come to our house and I told them, uh, we know when they'll be doing the rituals. And so uh, we want you to all show up between nine and 10. We'll show up and then we'll pray uh, up to midnight and then expect all hell to break loose because this is, this is the grand finale. This is the showdown. And we didn't know what would happen. So, um, so we're there. It's just before nine o'clock when our our team is going to uh, start showing up. And DJ, she came down uh, stairs. We lived in a big Victorian. She said, "She said hi, Dad." She said, uh, "It's it might be a rough night, so I'm going to get a cup of coffee." And I said, "What?" She said, "I'm going to walk down to Seven Eleven and get a cup of coffee. I'll be right back, but it'll probably be a a long night, so I, I just want to stretch my legs, get a cup of coffee." I said, DJ, you are not going anywhere. It's nine o'clock on Halloween Eve. You know that the Church of Satan is looking for you and they're going to try to kidnap you and get you to the ritual. And she said, oh, dad, you worry too much. And I, I said, let me look at your eyes. I took her her face in my hands and stared into her eyes because uh, oftentimes you can see the activity of evil spirits. But I didn't notice anything. She said, oh, dad. I love you. You worry too much. God always protects us. So anyway, I said, you you need to go up to your room and pray and uh, no going out tonight. So um, then I went and told my wife, I, I told her what happened. I said, that that is so weird. She said, well, it couldn't have been her. She knows better than that. I said, well, I looked into her eyes and I, I didn't notice anything. She seemed loving. 
So, um, so we upped the ante in prayer. We were like praying, oh God, uh, thwart the plans of the enemy, whatever is happening here, don't let evil prevail. So I went to sit on the front porch and I heard sirens coming. And I, you know, how you can hear sirens from, you know, a mile away and you can tell they're getting closer. They were coming from two different directions. And anyway, they converged on our house, three cop cars, lights and sirens converged on our house. And, and it's a shocker when they come screeching up. And so I stood up to ask what was going on. And DJ came running out the door behind me and she run across the yard, flipping me off and saying every foul thing imaginable. And I'm, I just like my brain was scrambled. Then I, I heard her say, F you preacher boy, I told you this would happen. I thought, oh my goodness. So uh, j- just before she said, F you preacher boy, I didn't know what was going on. And I love Deborah Joy. And, and sh- she was on a wild one. So I jumped up to, to run, grab her out of love, you know, and the police drew down on me with their guns and told me to get face down on the grass. And so I'm face down on the grass in our yard. And, and then, you know, is when I heard Anton say, yeah, if you preach boy, I told you this is going to happen, blah, blah, blah. But anyway, uh, one of the officers came up and, uh, he, he walked me back to the porch and said, you need to sit down here. And he said, my wife goes to your church. I know who you are. I just, out of courtesy, I want you to know you're in the deepest trouble you could probably be in. And I said, well, why? What's going on? He said, well, this this woman called from your residence and said, I've waited for months to do this. I've been kidnapped. I've been held hostage. I've been tortured. I've been sexually abused. Uh, for months, and I finally got my hand on a phone. Well, you can imagine how that sounds to the sheriff's department. And so uh, he said, you know, uh, torture, kidnapping, sodomy, uh, rape. You're in, you're in deep trouble, Pastor. So anyway, we had a ministry because you know I told you we followed the motto: find a need, meet it; find a hurt, and heal it. So. Uh, one of the our do good ministries was called Trauma Intervention Program, and we, uh, what it was is every time there's a nine one one call, we dispatch somebody to be there just to help in practical ways that uh, are the cracks between the you know the uh, first care providers and the sheriff's department. Just we're there just to help uh, in things that other people don't want to do. So. So Lou Benninger, the guy that I first met, that that I made the deal to come down there, he headed up the trauma intervention program. So, so as soon as the uh, the squad cars got the call, he heard the message that we're dispatching um, the uh, police cars to Pastor Dave Bryan's house and the address. So, so he, he headed over there. So now uh, they have her in the car. I'm on the porch. They're telling me that they're going to arrest me. I'm thinking, Jesus, please don't let it end this way. And um, and Lou comes up. He's got his trauma intervention badge on. And he says, hey, uh, I, I heard the call. Uh, can I talk to the pastor? Yeah. 
So he walks over. He said, what in the world's going on? And I told him. And he said, wow, what are we going to do about that? I said, well, Lou, see if you can get Cheryl's phone into a DJ's coat pocket. It was October. It was cool. She had a coat on. I said, remember, when you get in the back of the squat car, uh, she'll try to kill you because it's not DJ. It's it's Anton LaVey in her body. And so don't expect her to be the kind, loving person that you're accustomed to. So he got back there, of course, you know, uh, she had a little body. Thank, thank God. So Anton couldn't do much through her little body, but uh, he was cussing at Lou and trying to claw him in the eyes and stuff. But Lou got the phone into the coat pocket. Then he got out and he told the police officers, well, you got a wild one back there tonight. And he said, do you know who that is? And they said, uh, well, uh, she told us her name, Ray Ray. And he said, well, he said, she goes by a lot of names. He said, you know, she has a lifelong mental health history. They said, she does? He said, oh, yeah. He said, uh, I was just thinking, um, if I were you, I would not arrest that pastor. They said, why not? And he said, because that pastor uh, has been in this area for many years. He's known for helping deeply troubled people. That's why she was at his house. And he said, there's only one of two options. Either the crazy lady that has a frequent flyer pass at mental health, either she's telling the truth and this man has been raping her and torturing her, or this man has been doing what he's done in this community for many years. He's trying to help a deeply troubled person. And he said, that's what I'm betting on. He said, uh, he said, Pastor Dave has a great reputation. Everybody knows he helps troubled people. She has the worst reputation you can get. Uh, she's been involved in all kinds of nefarious acts and is a mental health patient. So he said, if you arrest this man and are wrong, he said, I'm, I'm betting you all lose your jobs. And that was the wisdom of God. Uh, and they, they looked at each other and said, well, I, I'm not going to risk my career on a mental health patient. <laughs> just like that. They, they just all said, oh, yeah, let's don't do that. So <laughs> they came back over. And they said, you know, we've talked about it and we've decided not to arrest you. So we're going to release you on your own recognizance. But uh, the stipulations are you not try to uh, not try to contact her in any way, not try to follow us in any way. Uh, and we'll give this some time to, to sort out uh, the merits of the accusation. So anyway, they they drove off. She She's going like this out the back of the squad car you know and and i i said oh jesus don't let it in this way so they pulled off uh lou said i got the phone in in her coat pocket what are we going to do and i said well uh, anton at this point has been out of his physical body for nearly an hour and by the way <clears throat> you you can't stay indefinitely on the astral plane your your silver cord deteriorates and and if it ever breaks, you're dead. So anyway, of course, Anton, because he was a world expert and pioneered the remote viewing, 
uh, he could stay out a lot, lot longer than most. But I thought uh, he might have anticipated problems. And the Satanic Ranch was about 45 minutes drive. I said, I, I said to him, I bet he's staging somewhere here. And my guess would be a place that we called Hell Motel because it was frequented by by warlocks and druids and witches. So um, so I said, you and Cheryl, this to Lou Benninger, I said, you and Cheryl go to Hell Motel. I'm going to strap up um, guns and extra magazines, and I, I'm going up to the Satanic Ranch. And, and today, either I'm going to... Uh, come back with Deborah Joy, or I'm going to die trying, but I am not going to let them sacrifice her to Lucifer. So I headed up, you know, to do a John Wayne fashion, but of course I was praying and asking God for intervention. They headed over to Hell Motel, and uh, I was just uh, leaving the the valley to go up into the foothills, and they said, uh, Deborah Joy just got out of the squad car, and she went into Hell Motel. So I, I uh, immediately I turned around and I called that phone in her pocket. And and Anton's voice, he picked up the phone. He's a very clever preacher boy. He said, unfortunately, it didn't work. You're too late. We have Ray Ray. And we will drink her blood tonight in a uh, sacrifice to Lucifer. Uh, and he said, it's your fault, preacher boy, because you're the one who kidnapped her and separated her from me and from our whole life's work. And so her blood's on, on your hands. And then I know he went fully demonic, which was not a far walk for Anton LaVey, but he began to just say vile things about Jesus Christ, not by name, but the pathetic weakling, just, just vile things that I would never repeat. And when he did that, I heard the voice of the Holy Spirit say, as clear as I'm talking to you, Tony, cut his silver cord. And and Anton hung up the phone. I called Lou and Cheryl, and I said, God just spoke to me. Uh, we're, we all need to pray uh, for his silver cord to be cut. And then uh, I immediately called. Uh, I was on my way driving there, but I immediately called uh, the head of our intercessors group. There were about nine people at our house. And I said, I want you to all join hands. And I want you to pray one thing that, that Anton's silver cord would be cut. That's all I want you to pray. And they said, I remember Jill said, if that happens, he's dead. Right. And I said, yeah, but if that doesn't happen, Ray Ray's dead. And, uh, so we're, we're, God told me to pray to cut his silver cord. So that's what was happening. By that time, I had gotten to Hell Motel. I just pulled up, uh, stopped in the middle of the road, uh, and uh, uh, opened the car doors. I was standing in the road praying for his silver cord to be cut. And DJ came busting out the front door. She saw me. She said, Daddy, help me. She ran over and jumped in the car, and we headed home. And, of course, uh, Lou and, and Cheryl saw that happen, so they followed us. And on the way home, I said, what happened? She said, well, Anton took me over. She said, I, I don't remember anything. I said, do you remember asking to go for coffee? She said, no. And I, I she said, I, I don't remember anything. I was up praying, and Anton uh, took over. And uh, she said, but 
uh, I came back to my senses when he left my body and I was laying down in Hell Motel and uh, she said, Anton Bounce. Now, some of you might know that term, but uh, when someone says that somebody bounced on the astral plane, it means they had had left their body on the astral plane and either they stayed too long or or whatever. Uh, they try to get back into their body and the, the silver cord is no longer intact and they can't get back in their body. That door is shut. And so they, they just bounce off of it. They can't enter it. She said, Anton bounce and the whole coven gathered around and were praying to Lucifer to somehow help. And, um, and they were, they were making promises. We'll offer so much blood sacrifice. We'll do anything. Just, just somehow help us save the black Pope. And so she said, when I came to my senses and saw what was happening, they were all so concerned gathered around Anton. I just jumped up, ran out the door. She said, I ran down the steps as, as fast as I could. And when I came out the front door of the apartment complex, you were standing in the road. So, so I said, so Anton's dead. She said, he's dead. And so uh, by that time we had made it back to, to our home where the prayer group was. And we went inside and, and Deborah Joy uh, told what had happened, what I just recounted to you. And of course, we were ecstatic that God had miraculously saved her. And, uh, and we were all gathered around her. And suddenly her eyes turned serpentine. They, 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 uh, they're up and down instead of sideways. And they turned bright red. And uh, I don't know if you've seen a picture of a snake with red eyes, but that's exactly what happened to her eyes. And it was just freaky and and uh, obviously demonic. And uh, the, I said, who are you? And the spirit said, I'm Leviathan, the power spirit of Anton LaVey, and you are a murderer. You've killed the black Pope. And that was our, our second confirmation, what Deborah said. And then now the spirit said that. And I said, well, why, why have you come to bother Deborah Joy? And the spirit said, she is the direct lineage of the black Pope, and I have a right to her. And remember, I told you we had legally changed her name and adopted her. And I said, no. I said, uh, by all the records in heaven and on earth, she, she has no connection to Anton LaVey. She's our daughter. And she's a daughter of the Most High God through faith in Christ. And you have no legal right to her. I said, you would have a legal right to Zena, to Carla, or to Xerxes, but not to Deborah Joyce. She's not part of the family. And it was honestly a shock to me because I knew that was a very powerful spirit. And it, and it just instantly left. And we thought, wow, that was easier than we expected. but. But I know it's based on the truth that it did not have legal right to her anymore. And I was trying to usurp that authority. But anyway, it left and we kind of looked at each other like, wow, that was intense. And uh, then another voice came through her and it was a woman's voice. And these, these happened just in rapid succession. 
And the woman's voice said, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you, you murder, you kill my father. And so I knew that that narrowed it down to two people that were there that night, Zena and Carla LeVay. And so I said, are you Zena or are you Carla? And she said, I'm Zena. And I said, okay, Zena, uh, we did cut your father's silver cord because he was up to evil and he was on the astral plane. And I said, right now, you are up to evil on the astral plane. And if you don't return to your body, we'll cut your silver cord. And she said, don't do that. And she was instantly gone. We, we looked at each other like, wow, how, how surreal is that? And so uh, I said, well, I think we're going to hear tomorrow that Anton LaVey is dead. Uh, we, we've, we've heard it through Deborah Joy. Oh, I heard it through the Holy Spirit to do it. We heard it through Deborah Joy that it was done. We heard it through uh, th- through uh, Leviathan that it was done. We heard it through Zena that it was done. So the rest of that night, Tony, we, we just worshiped the Lord. We all hugged Deborah Joy. We thanked God. We, we sang uh, praises to God. It was really awesome. And uh, then it was the next day that um, we heard on the news that Anton LaVey had died. And uh, so anyway, it's it's quite a remarkable story. It happened to us years ago. And for some reason, um, you know, it, it never, the story never got around much until uh, relatively recently. What I have done is I've gone all over the world teaching on spiritual warfare and deliverance because of what we learned during that time. Uh, twice a year we do an Isaiah 61 summit on um, spiritual warfare and deliverance. It's free. The next one is April 1 through 5. Uh, If anybody wants to learn about spiritual warfare and deliverance, they're welcome to come. And um, it's a full week of teaching. It's a wonderful time. Uh, We pray for people if they have any bondages uh, in their lives. But that the next one, again, is um, uh, the first week of April, April uh, one through five. Uh, the the next one after that will be the week of Halloween. We always try to uh, uh, smack the devil in the chops uh, right around that time of year, and we like to celebrate what God did on Halloween Eve of nineteen ninety seven. So we're going to have a great time. Uh, I hope you can join us. The information again is at churchglandtidings.com. If you want to know uh, more details uh, of the story, remember this book, The Serpent and the Savior. Uh, you can get that at our church website, churchofgladtidings.com. And, uh, but this is what I want to say in closing, Tony. Um, it, it's, it happened to me, and it's one of the most remarkable stories I, I've ever heard. And, and every time I think about it, I think, Wow, God was so faithful. He was so kind. Uh, when I teach this seminar, which again, we do it twice a year here, but I do it around the world. That's what got me to Vanuatu years ago. But anyway, um, a lot of times people say, wow, if God can use you, God can use anybody. And uh, and, and I, I always am happy to hear that because that's the truth. Uh, because some people might think, oh, you have to know a lot or 
You have to be uh, more spiritual than your average duck or, or you, you, know, you know, they all kinds of things cause people to think I could never do that. It's not true. All you have to do is actually believe that Jesus Christ meant what he said. He said, uh, I've given you power over all the power of the devil and nothing they do can hurt you. You can walk among the snakes and scorpions. That's two genres of evil spirits. But uh, he said, they, they and they can by no means hurt you. All you have to do is have faith in Jesus Christ. And um, and he is so loving and so gracious and so, um, so powerful. Uh, it, it's amazing. So I hope that people won't just be wowed by the story, though it, it is amazing. But I hope that if you don't know Christ, I hope that uh, that you will open your heart to the greatest experience of human existence. That's to feel the feel the infilling of the Spirit of God that comes into you and empowers you. And by the way, empowers you against all the power of the devil, all the power of evil. And so I hope you'll do that. Find somebody who's a Christian, pray with them. It's an easy thing to do. It will change your life forever. And the days that we're living in, Tony, uh, America for years just ignored the spirit realm. We can't do that anymore because we we had uh, high-powered witches and warlocks in the highest offices of American government. Uh, and if you don't know that, I, I just, okay, you, you don't know what you don't know. Mm-hmm. I do know. I, I know that... Uh, America has become an occult nation. The department, by the way, Tony, I, I was invited through David Hogan, who was contacted by the Pentagon to come to the Pentagon and do a cleansing, a house cleansing ceremony because of the evil, evil influence of Anton LaVey um, and, and other occult practitioners that really have run things in the Pentagon and the Department of Defense for decades now. So, um, so anyway, um, so the days ahead, we can't ignore this anymore. The best thing we can do is again, you know, if God is with you, fear no evil. Uh, I God has really helped me. I I can honestly say I I don't I I can't remember being afraid the last time. You know, I I was as a boy, of course, but once you've uh, been involved in that kind of thing and seen the power of God that comes in at an unbelievable uh, level uh, that cannot be opposed by evil forces. It's just overwhelming power of God. Once you've seen that, you feel like David, the Lord is with me. Why would I fear evil? And so I, I hope that the, the listeners will get that message and and uh, really, uh, you know, Daniel prophesied at the end of the age, those, it says uh, uh, elsewhere, it says uh, some people, their hearts will fail for fear of the things that are coming on the earth. But in Daniel, it says, but those that know their God will be strong and do great spiritual exploits. And so I just want to say to your listeners, um, I, I love you, whatever you decide to do, you're, you're made in the image and likeness of God. and. And um, everybody has their choices to make in life. But I hope for you say that you choose God, that you get to know him, that you yield yourself to the awesome power of the Holy Spirit. 
and that in the end of the age, when all is falling to hell in the handbasket, that you will be strong and do great spiritual exploits. So anyway, buddy, uh, that's that's my story, Tony. And uh, I'm sticking with it. uh, Please stick with it. And I, I listen. I think you and I have uh, many more conversations to have uh, moving forward. I, I believe that, Tony. I, I honestly do. I, I, listen, I, um, I'm sitting here listening to you tell this story. And uh, over the, uh, people, I, I don't think I really have talked about this on the show before, but over the last uh, year, year and a half, uh, I've been feeling God kind of uh, the Holy Spirit nudging me to preparing me for intense spiritual warfare coming my way. And I, uh, I, to this day, don't know exactly what the the uh, the the d- absolute direction of the attack is coming. Now, I there have been people who have been popping up in my life that I know have had ill will towards me, and they're masquerading as friends. Uh, yeah. They don't, they don't even know that I know that. I'm just letting them yeah. kind of play the game. Uh, and if they're listening right now, they're like, do they, does he think? I, yeah, I I know. So uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll wait for you to come to me about it, though. Uh, but. Um, I, I know that, but I think there's more to it. And uh, I, I found myself in church in tears crying about it, just asking for direction. And I'll, I'll tell you one thing that I, I, I just can't shake is the fact that um, for about the past year and a half, two years, I've had, ever since I moved to Tennessee, I've had, um, he came to set the captives free sitting on my bedstand. I haven't opened it up yet. Wow, and so I'm wondering if I should open that book up, <laughs> and maybe yeah. not, maybe not wait eight years, you know. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, you know what I what I I hope you can come out to Yuba City sometime. I, I when you were just giving your introduction, I thought that we're we're the same tribe here. We have the same kind of background. We we have the same. I think that the same worldview on so many yeah. things. But I would love to get to know you better, and uh, we would we would have a lot of fun conversations, Tony, because I've been way down the rabbit hole for a long time. Well, <laughs> I'll tell you what, uh, I don't think it's an impossibility. Let's put it that way. And if I yeah. come, I'm going to bring my microphones. Okay, if you don't mind, I'm going to be recording the conversations. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Okay, buddy. All right. Well, listen, I appreciate you. Yeah, great to, great to meet you finally and be on your show. And let's stay in touch. Well, that's the show, everybody. I really hope you enjoyed it. If you did enjoy it, please share the show with your friends. I don't care where or how you share the show. Just share the show if you enjoyed it. That's the best thing you could do to help the show grow. Share the show. Thanks again for being here, friends. Until next week, stay safe, take care. And remember, the truth will set you free. But first, it will piss you off. Bye.
with the snakes and the rats are custodians Even things that I care about looking dystopian Trust their masters complacently how Becoming a pheromone pack.